Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, give these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. This week, there were several announcements from Citrix, including changes to Citrix Cloud Virtual Apps and Desktop, with a new offering now called Citrix DAS, so that's desktop as a service. From what I've read about the changes, it looks like it's turning into more of an a la carte offering, and there's going to be several different tiers of this DAS offering, including Premium Plus, Premium, Advanced Plus, and Advanced. Though I also did see a standard offering in there too, which is of particular interest to me. So as you might expect, the standard offering is going to be kind of the lower tier. But what is good about the standard tier is it's pay-as-you-go monthly subscription. They say you can get started as quickly as in just five clicks. You get your virtual apps and desktops. You get remote PC access to physical desktops. And you can bring your own cloud subscription or let Citrix manage that for you. If you want features such as session recording, advanced monitoring, user performance and scalability enhancements, app and desktop image portability across hybrid clouds, advanced image management tools, and so forth, then you're gonna be looking at the higher tiers, which obviously if you're an enterprise, you'd be probably looking at those higher tiers anyways. So it starts at $10 for the standard, and I think it ranges up to about $23 per user per month at the top end of the scale for DAS. It's also very interesting the way they kind of word the offering. So I'm not going to read everything uh, because it would be far too long. But for example, in describing the Citrix DAS Advanced Plus, they say throughout our research, you requested the ability for a more modular DAS offering where you can add on select features as you prefer. The Citrix DAS Advanced Plus package brings together the best of virtual apps and desktop capabilities into one offering including all the features of our Citrix virtual apps and desktop advanced service with advanced monitoring, remote PC access, capabilities, scalability and performance enhancements, and premium features such as session recording, all while giving you the ability to add on select capabilities like app protection, adaptive authentication, Citrix analytics for security, and our Citrix analytics for performance. So I just find it interesting that They're kind of referring to our research. So clearly they were polling the Citrix customer base to see what services customers would like. And they've probably realized that not everybody uses every single Citrix feature or Citrix product. Therefore, if they kind of peel those back and offer a set of features, core features, and then allow them to add on additional features as they see fit, that that might be a more enticing offering. 
And that's not the only service that's changing to this type of a la carte menu either. Content collaboration, which is what ShareFile is called nowadays, appears to be moving to a similar model too. They say if you're an existing Citrix virtual apps and desktop service customer today, great news. You will be seamlessly transitioned into an associated Citrix DAS service edition and receive the new functionality as part of your existing subscription. If you are Citrix virtual apps and desktop service customers use, utilizing hybrid rights, your hybrid rights license will also be updated so you can take advantage of the new capabilities if you prefer. In further announcements, Citrix have walked back their announcement of pulling support for running Citrix virtual apps and desktops on public clouds. Citrix endpoint management will go end of sales on July 1st, which is a pretty big announcement. And this of course means that existing customers will continue to receive support, but new customers will not be able to buy the product after July 1st. So the way the offerings appear, Obviously, like I've said, it's kind of more of an a la carte menu of features and services that you could pick and choose for helping to modernize and build out your workspace the way you want. I think this makes a lot of sense personally. Like for example, it looks like for the $10 per month, I can get that DAS standard and simply build it into my existing Azure offering as an example, perhaps even Windows 365. I could just use that, publish some of my applications and also leverage features like remote PC access that I don't get via Windows 365 today or Azure Virtual Desktop. So I think it's pretty cool. Pick and mix for what makes sense for you. Also announced by Citrix this week was that Citrix Secure Private Access is now generally available, which sounds like a pretty interesting offering. So one of the elements is, it seems, the Citrix Secure Browser that's been around for a few years now, which is the idea of like a secure, isolated browser that allows you to run your web apps and websites without a worry for something nefarious getting into your environment by running that completely isolated and relatively locked down. So that's being extended in this offering and it seems like the messaging is around running like internal web apps, internal websites through that. But in addition to that, it appears that there's a overall zero trust infrastructure as a service offering with this. And the diagram makes it look like the Citrix workspace app is one component. You'll also have an appliance running within your data center as well, kind of like a cloud connector. And then you'll be using point of presence. So it sounds like containers running within Citrix cloud that essentially brokers you in and provides a secure gateway for consuming your web apps, your regular applications and whatever resources your users require. And interestingly, they also frame it as a potential for replacing VPN as it doesn't require any full on VPN connection, VPN tunneling or uh, VPN client. It works with single sign-on, but they also say that it could augment your existing VPN too. They have a video that explains it with the release article and the announcement, so I suggest checking that out. It sounds like it's pretty interesting. I'm pretty excited to try it out. That'd be very interesting for those organizations who discovered during the pandemic that perhaps it was just easier to do modern device management and use a VPN. So this could provide an interesting service for those organizations. In a follow-up to the last two episodes about the Lapsus attacks and Cybergang, 
Two teenagers in the United Kingdom, one 16 years old and the other 17 years old, have been charged with three counts of unauthorized access to a computer with intent to impair the reliability of data, one count of fraud by false representation, and one count of unauthorized access to a computer with intent to hinder access to data. The 16-year-old has been charged with one count of causing a computer to perform a function to secure unauthorized access to a program, too. According to BleepyComputer.com, the UK police detective didn't name the gang the two teens worked for, and the two boys have been released on bail subject to certain conditions. Well, this week, Ars Technica carried quotes from an alleged member of the Lapsus gang claiming a tactic that they deployed was multi-factor authentication bombing, meaning they would generate so many MFA prompts in such a short order that victims just approve the MFA prompt to make them stop, giving an example of maybe generating 100 MFA calls at 1 a.m., waking someone up, and then just approving the prompt just to be able to go back to sleep. The hacker in this case suggests this method is what worked to breach Microsoft and gain them access to their US and German VPNs. Again, this is all alleged. Ars Technica went a little deeper on the MFA bombing method, saying that the methods include sending a bunch of MFA requests and hoping the target finally accepts one to make the noise stop, sending one or two prompts per day. This method often attracts less attention, but there's still a good chance that the target will accept the MFA request and also calling the target pretending to be part of the company and telling the target they need to send an MFA request as part of a company process. You may recall two weeks ago, some of the speculation was that they were potentially actually just buying access from employees of these companies, just saying, hey, I'll pay you for your credentials and getting in that way. So it sounds like that has not been the case. And the latest narrative on the group is that they are not actually financially motivated they're just seeking notoriety. So another big story this week. Well, remember Log4Shell <laughs> just a few weeks ago? Well, now we are getting Spring4Shell. Uh, what is Spring4Shell, I hear you ask? Well, there's a popular application framework used by developers called the Spring Core Java Framework. And according to Sync.io, those using Spring Core and who have used the auto-wired annotation or utilized the constructor injection have been encountering dependency injection in the Spring ecosystem, which unfortunately is vulnerable. So essentially leveraging a feature that is vulnerable to injection and possible remote code execution. And the CVE for this is CVE-2022-22963. And a proof of concept was briefly shared online too. It said that if you work with Spring Core and run Java Runtime Environment or JRE version 9 or greater and Tomcat version 9 or greater, a remote code execution is achievable by manipulating the class loader via a carefully composed HTTP POST request. New versions of the Spring framework have been released and the current exploit does not work on these new releases and those versions are 5.2.20 and 5.3.18. It said that if you use Spring Framework directly, upgrade to version 5.2.20 or 5.3.18 as I just said. If you're using Spring Boot, use version 2.15.12 or 2.6.6. .6. And if you can't upgrade your version of Spring at this time, 
use a version 8 GRE and or Tomcat container to mitigate the issue. So this is another one where kind of like Log4Shell, where that logging component may have been used by developers in various different products. This framework may have been used by developers and products that you're using today and you may be completely unaware. So you may wanna go out there and scan to see if this is being used in your environment and also reach out to uh, various vendors that you use to see if they're vulnerable to this and what you have to do. The Microsoft Update Catalog now uses HTTPS rather than HTTP when downloading updates. Windows Central speculates that perhaps the change is coming now because the security features in modern browsers sometimes prevent downloading of files from HTTP sites. Obviously, this catalog isn't the main source for users and enterprises when consuming Windows updates, but I'm sure we've all used it at least a few times in our lives, and so it can only be a positive that they made the switch. Power Toys version 0.57 is now available, and some of the highlights include that Power Toys Run Quality Pass has had several fixes. Additional features and improvements were added to the existing Power Toys Run plugins. And there's a new plugin for time and date values information in Power Toys Run. Now a double click on the tray icon is needed instead of a single click to open the settings. So if you click on that and you got annoyed that it opened the menu, that's not going to be a problem anymore. They've disabled the PDF preview by default, given its incompatibilities with Outlook and that Edge is now being registered for previewing PDF files in Windows 10. And they're also registering SVGs as a picture kind when SVG thumbnails are enabled so they appear when searching for pictures in File Explorer. In very worrying news, BleepyComputer.com reported this week that hackers breached MailChimp, which is a service for managing and sending email campaigns to customers and user bases. According to MailChimp, some of their employees fell for a social engineering attack that led to the theft of their credentials. MailChimp's CISO, Siobhan Smith, said, quote, On March 26th, our security team became aware of a malicious actor accessing one of our internal tools used by customer-facing teams for customer support and account administration. The incident was propagated by an external actor who conducted a successful social engineering attack on MailChimp employees, resulting in employee credentials being compromised. We acted swiftly to address the situation by terminating access for the compromised employee accounts and took steps to prevent additional employees from being affected." End quote. These credentials were used to access 319 MailChimp accounts and to export audience data, likely mailing lists from 102 customer accounts. In addition to viewing accounts and exporting data, the threat actors gained access to API keys for an undisclosed number of customers, which had now been disabled and can no longer be used. All of the compromised account holders have been notified and informed that the threat actors access customers in the cryptocurrency and finance sectors. MailChimp says that they have received reports of this access being used to conduct phishing campaigns against stolen contracts, but have not disclosed information about those attacks. So clearly, a targeted effort against maybe cryptocurrency account holders, maybe potentially doing like a phishing attempt to get access to their wallet or something like that um, using the email addresses that were extracted. So this is probably gonna be another story that develops over the coming weeks. 
In happier news, System Center 2022 is now here. SCOM 2022 brings some new built-in roles and supports sending notifications to teams. That's just an example of some of the enhancements there. SCVMM 2022 should now enable those who want to manage server 2022 VMs to do so. And it includes support for SCOM 2022 installation on Windows Server 2022 and monitoring workloads running on Windows Server 2022, which is <laughs> exactly what I just said. Um, that was a problem that was highlighted a few weeks ago on the podcast was if you were running SCVMM uh, before this release, you weren't able to spin up VMs using Server 2022. So now you can with this new release. There's also some other enhancements provided in this release and i'll share a link to the release notes so you can read that for yourself and you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 224. azure arc enabled vmware vsphere which is a new azure arc capability was announced during ignite but it's now available in public preview so announced quite a while ago and i talked about it in the podcast episode at the time but now it's in public preview they say you can use Azure Arc-enabled VMware vSphere to connect to your VMware vCenter servers to Azure and manage the lifecycle and guest OS operations of VMware VMs through Azure Arc. The same offering is also available for use with Azure VMware Solutions private clouds. In addition to comprehensive management experience for server 2022 workloads, this release adds support to managing Azure Stack HCI, which is the hyperconverged infrastructure, version 21H2. Just recently, Intel announced their first discrete graphics card, launching themselves into the same space as AMD and NVIDIA. It is reported that the entry-level ARC 3 models will debut in laptops from $899 very soon, and the high-powered models, which will be ARC 5 and ARC 7, are set to arrive early this summer in high-end machines. The company also teased its first desktop ARC graphics card at the very end of its presentation during the week, showing off a much higher spec design than the DG1 card shipped to developers last year. And some of the specs include on the lower end ARC 3, which will be the A350M, there will be six cores, six RT units, and four gigs of GDDR6 VRAM. And on the highest end, the ARC 7 A770M, there's 32 cores, 32 RT units, and 16 gigs of GDDR6 RAM. And that's the one higher end it's going to be on the summer. A shout out to Thorsten, who I saw shared CTX article 399433 that highlights that with Chrome version 100, which was just released and talked about on last week's episode of the podcast, some users are reporting an issue where they're stuck at a spinning circle after entering credentials. At the moment, the suggested fix includes make a copy of your plugins.xml file, which is located in the var netscaler logon themes custom theme name directory. Edit the file, finding all occurrences of slash slash d and replace them with a single slash d. Save the file, flush your netscaler cache using NSCLI command, um, flush cache content group, login static objects, and then setting the AAA page to not be cached also can help. Some workarounds include 
switch back to the default RF web UI theme and or use Firefox or another browser. So I also did see that uh, John Billikens on Twitter also recommended a possible workaround too of enabling a force major version to minor flag. So you could potentially try that too. And I know kind of walking through the steps on an audio only podcast can be a little confusing. If you want to check out the video version, you can do that on YouTube. Just search five bytes podcast, all one word, or you can just go to the links with this episode, which again is episode 224. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links. And now this episode scripts, tricks, and tips. It's actually kind of an older article, but one that I saw again this week that I find is very useful and figured others would too. But trustedsec.com had a blog on four free easy wins that make red teams harder. So if you want to have some pretty easy wins in securing your environment, check out this article. It's well worth the time. And also staying in the kind of security space with this last tip, but Sofo shared a how-to for reverse engineering or reconstructing PowerShell scripts from multiple Windows event logs, which obviously could come in very useful if PowerShell is involved as part of an attack, such as, say, that recent Serpent malware that I covered on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, It's out earlier than usual because I am traveling to the EUC Masters Retreat, so if you're going to be there, I hope to see you there. Because this episode came out pretty early, I'm probably going to release an episode either very late this week, maybe Sunday, or early again next week, and then hopefully get back into a normal cadence when I return from my travel. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.